The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to have you with us. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in two different passages this morning. First, Matthew chapter 28, and then we're going to flip over and we'll be in uh, Romans chapter 6. So start with me in Matthew chapter 28. We are beginning a brand new series this week called Our Life Together. And, And the fundamental premise of this whole series is this. Church is weird. Right? Now, I I don't mean by that church people are weird, which may or may not be true. Uh, but, but, But what I mean is that what we do when we gather together as the people of God is odd. It's strange. Like, where else in your everyday life do you stand and sing together in unison like we did for 20 25 minutes just then, right? Where, where else in your everyday life do you sit and listen to a guy up here give a 30-minute a talk? Like, some of the things that we do when we gather together as the church are, are odd. They're, they're peculiar. And for some of us, we've been around them so long that they sort of lose their oddity. They, they just become kind of what we do, right? And, and so, so sometimes we wind up just going through the motions. They can become mere ritual, routine, can kind of become rote. For others, maybe who are new to church, the oddity is, is sort of off-putting. I don't understand. Why do we do that? Why do we eat this little wafer in this little cup? Why do we do this? And so what we want to do over the course of these next four weeks is to connect practices with their deeper meaning, inviting all of us to understand more deeply what the practice is about, but also into a deeper experience of the practice. And the practice that we want to talk about this week is the practice of baptism. And and so we're going to look at two core passages that speak to um, this command from Jesus for us to to be baptized, for us to baptize uh, disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're going to look first here at Jesus' words in what is known as the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28, the very final words of Matthew's gospel story, Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. He wraps up the whole story with these words, beginning, beginning in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. Now picture the scene. This is after Jesus' resurrection. And I have to imagine that that time was so disorienting for Jesus' disciples. They had been crushed. They were heartbroken. They had given up all hope when Jesus was killed. And then three days later, He was raised and and he appeared to them and and then he was gone. And then he appeared to them again and he was gone. He appeared to, multiple times he appears and then he's gone. And this has to be so disorienting. But Jesus had told them to go to this mountain in the Galilee. So they show up there and there he is. And uh, I, I love that Matthew includes the little detail. They see Jesus, they encountered Jesus and they worshiped him. But some doubted. 
Isn't that interesting? These are 11 guys who, who followed after Jesus and through them changed the world. Like it started with 11. This movement started with 11 people. Now in the world today, there are 2.3 billion people who identify as Christian. 2.3, how do we get from 11 to 2.3 billion people? Well, I think the answer to that is right here in this passage, but notice the movement starts with weak, frail, messy people like you and me. They worshiped him, but, but, but some doubted. If you're here this morning for worship and yet you would say, honestly, I, I struggle with doubt, welcome to the club. Now let's go change the world in Jesus' name. Because Jesus started a movement that changed the world with 11 doubt-filled disciples, weak, frail, and fallen. But through them, turned the world upside down. And I think that what we find in this passage is how that happened, how we go from 11 to 2.3 billion. But before we get to the commission itself, I think there's two things that we need to notice on either side. The way that Jesus brackets this commission with the reality of his power and the promise of his presence. The reality of his power and the promise of his presence. He, he, he begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? The, the authority of Jesus. This is one of the richest um, Christological statements in all the gospels where Jesus claims about himself, all authority in heaven and on earth it's mine, he says. The, the reality of Jesus' power and then the promise of his presence, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This movement will go forward, Jesus tells them, not because uh, that they're all that powerful, not because they're all that courageous, not because they're all that special in any way. This movement will go forward because of the power and presence of Jesus. One of Martin Luther King's favorite old hymns was that hymn that said, I've seen the lightning flashing, I've heard the thunder roll, I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior telling me to still fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Jesus starts a movement that changes the world through some frail, fallen, doubt-filled disciples. But this movement goes forward, not because they're all that special. This movement goes forward because of the power and presence of Jesus that never leaves us alone. But, but then we get Jesus' commission to his disciples. This is his final command to his followers. And the last command of Jesus should be the first priority of the church. And the command that's at the heart of this commission is make disciples. I won't bore you with all the, the grammatical detail here, but there is a central command at the heart of this passage, which is make disciples. Make disciples. If you've spent much time around IBC at all, you've heard us talk about this word disciple because for, for a long time, for many of us, it was just sort of a church word. Um, and yet we need to understand what this word meant in its original first century context. This is a, a Jewish idea from ancient Israel where a rabbi would call his telmadim, his, his mathetes, his, his learners or followers. And the whole idea of a disciple with a rabbi in the first century world was the, the disciple was to, 
to be with the rabbi so as to become like the rabbi so as to carry on the rabbi's work in the world. We've talked about this time and again because this is so important to to be with the rabbi, to to see everything the rabbi does, to hear everything the rabbi says, to, to go everywhere the rabbi goes, to be with him for the purpose of then becoming like the rabbi to know what the rabbi knows, to love what the rabbi loves, to hate what the rabbi hates, ultimately for the purpose of carrying on the rabbi's work in the world, joining your rabbi in what he's out to accomplish. And this is what discipleship to Jesus is all about, to be with Jesus, cultivating that sense of connection, intimacy, dependence, abiding in him, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to have our inner worlds reshaped to become more like the inner world of Jesus that we might then live our outer lives in the manner in which he did, to to become like him, ultimately to join him in his mission to bless the world, to join him in his mission to rescue his good but broken creation. This is Jesus' final command. Go and make disciples. The final command of Jesus should be the first priority of the church to be disciples, who make disciples. Listen, I hope that you find healing here. And we've created a lot of different opportunities for people to experience God's healing in their life. I hope that you find community here, that you find a deep sense of connection and belonging. And we've created a lot of opportunities for people to get connected here. I hope that you love worship here. And we put a lot of energy into creating compelling worship services But the ultimate point of all of this isn't healing. It it, it isn't community. It, it, It isn't even worship. The ultimate point is for us to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to carry on Jesus' work in the world. Jesus' last command should be the church's first priority, to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's how it gets from 11 to 2.3 billion. Disciples making disciples making disciples. Go and make disciples, Jesus says. And he says this very importantly, go make disciples of all nations. The little Greek phrase there is panta ta ethne, of all ethnicities, Jesus' commission is a a multi-ethnic commission. Go make disciples of all ethnicities. And I have to imagine that his first followers, these Jewish men whose lives had been centered right there in Israel are hearing these words of Jesus. And they're shocked. Go make disciples, panta ta ethne, of all ethnicities. Jesus, are you sure? Jesus, are you kidding? There are times when um, people have asked me, "Why, why does Irving Bible Church have the very center of its vision language, this commitment to being a multi-ethnic church. We say that, that God is calling us, the people of Irving Bible Church, to become a multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And people say, Barry, why, why do you put that idea of multi-ethnicity right there at the heart of your vision? Because it's right here at the heart of Jesus. Make disciples, pantata ethne, of all ethnicities, And then he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here we get the command of Jesus. This isn't just a suggestion, not just a a good idea. He he calls us to be about baptizing people in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a practice that's about forming a people gathered around a common purpose. Right, right. It's a practice that's about forming a people gathered around 
a common purpose. The, the people is the community of Christ followers, the, the movement of missionary disciples. The, the, the people is the church. The purpose is the Great Commission, disciples making disciples making disciples. The practice is the entryway into this people and this purpose. We sometimes talk about baptism as an outward expression of an inward reality, and that's true, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but there's also something important about it being an outward expression of an outward reality. This is the practice by which we enter into the community of faith. We enter into the church. But then we, we have to ask that question, why this practice? Like, why, why baptism? Why, why get wet as part of the process, right? Why, why couldn't he just give us a secret handshake, right? Or we could all go get matching tattoos or something. Like, why this practice? And to answer that question, I think we can flip over to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter six. As Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he speaks to this idea of our baptism and what it means, what it symbolizes, what it signifies. And this is why this practice is so crucial. Pick up with me in Romans 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, from time to time, I will make a suggestion about a mark that you should make in your Bible, some, some word or, or phrase that I really want you to pay attention to when you read it. And here I would suggest, if you want to mark your Bible, you should look for these three words in particular, death, buried, and raised, right? Death, buried, and raised. Because those three words are, they're really at the heart of the gospel, right? Death, burial, resurrection, Elsewhere, Paul writes and says, um, I, I passed along to you what I received as a first importance. The heart of the gospel, he said, Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, which is Paul's way of just saying he was really dead. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and then he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. So the heart of the gospel message, the heart of the good news about Jesus is he died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead. And yet here, when Paul uses that same language, death, burial, resurrection, he's talking about us. That when, when we are baptized, it's a symbolic identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that we have died with him that we've been buried with him, and that we've been raised with him. And our, our, our going down into the water is a way of sort of enacting this truth that, that around IBC, we say baptism is an identification. It's an identification with Jesus. I identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection to new life. That I am his and he is mine. That, that my story is now... Um, irreversibly bound up with his story, and his story is now irreversibly bound up with mine. Now, this word baptize, um, it, we hear that word and we think inescapably a church word, right? It's just a word that's used of a religious ritual. But in the first century, that word bab, baptizo in the Greek was a common word that would be used in the marketplace. It would be used very widely. So it, it didn't have specifically religious connotation, and it just meant to dip to, to dunk, to immerse, to submerge. Um, 
In fact, we have one ancient recipe for making pickles that talk about baptizing the vegetables in the vinegar. So apparently a pickle is just a cucumber that has been baptized. I hope you will never look at pickles precisely the same again, right? It's, it's, it's immersed, it's submerged, it's, it's dipped, it's, it's dunked. It's, and so now that cucumber has taken on, it's identified with the vinegar, right? That, that, that you can think about it like a cloth that's been uh, submerged in, um, in dye, a white cloth submerged in purple dye. Now, now and forevermore, that white cloth has taken on, it's identified with the purple, I got to tell you, this is sort of real-time sermon illustration. I, I encountered a dog this morning that appeared that it had been baptizoed. It, it was sopping wet, this big golden lab that was running around our neighborhood, sopping wet. And I'm going out to the car, running a little late to get here to church. And I, as I walk to the car, the dog just comes running up to me. And I just thought he's just going to jump up on me. And thankfully he didn't. He just, you know, warmly greeted me. I patted him on the head. And then I opened the door to get into my car and he decides that he's gonna get into my car. So he just jumps in there. And I mean, this dog is sopping wet. So everywhere, all over the front of my car is just sopping wet. And I then open the door, try to, you know, get the dog to come out. He's not coming out. He then jumps in the back seat because he needed to get the back seat wet too, apparently. And then finally I opened the back door and opened it up and brought him out. I have no idea what that exactly is an illustration of, but it was a wet dog and I thought it was a fun story. So, <laughs> The idea of identification. Um, this is the notion that baptism conveys. I've identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm his. He's mine. I died with him. I was buried with him. I'm raised with him. His story is now irreversibly a part of my story, and my story is now irreversibly a part of his. Baptism is an identification. Second, around here we say baptism is a dedication. It's a, it's a kind of commitment. It's a saying, I am his, he is mine, and I intend to live like it. Right? I'm committed to a new life. I'm committed to following Jesus as his disciple, to be with him, to become like him, and to carry on his work in the world. Baptism is a dedication. Look back at verse four here. Paul writes in verse four, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, right? in order that, pay attention to what comes next because it's the payoff. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In order that, we may live a new life. Baptism was a way of saying, I'm leaving my past behind. I'm living a new life. Sam Houston was the, uh, the first president of the Republic of Texas. And Houston was sort of notorious for a, a fairly wild uh, lifestyle. In fact, he earned the nickname Big Drunk. Um, and so it was surprising to a lot of people later in his life when Houston decided that he wanted to be baptized. He was influenced by his godly wife and determined he wanted to be baptized. So on November 19th, 1854, Sam Houston was baptized in the Little Rocky Creek by the Reverend Rufus Burleson, who at the time was the president of Baylor, Semin or Baylor University. And it's said that after Houston came up out of the freezing cold baptism waters, that his friend says, well, General, all your sins have now been washed away. To which Houston replied, if that be the case, God help those fish downstream. <laughs> right? He had lived a wild life. 
And now, now he's saying, I want a new life. I want to live a life committed to following Jesus. In baptism, we are saying, I want a new life. In baptism, we commit ourselves to living this new life. We commit ourselves to being disciples of Jesus. This is a practice that forms a people to live a common purpose. Baptism is a dedication. And then thirdly, we say baptism is a declaration, right? It's an identification. I've died with Christ. I've been raised with him. It's a dedication. I want a new life. I want to live as his disciple. And then finally, it's a declaration. It's a way of saying, I am his and he is mine, and I don't care who knows about it, right? I am his and he is mine, and I want the world to know. There's a a reason that when we built this into the building 20 years ago now, that we put the baptistry where it is. It's right outside these doors out here. And it's in the center of what we call our town square, but we were very deliberate to build that right in front of those big, that big wall of windows to symbolically say, when we baptize somebody here at Irving Bible Church, we want the world to see, We want the world to know. It's a declaration to the world of our identification and our dedication. And I think it's really important for those of us who sit here in a relatively comfortable kind of suburban church like ours to just remember that there are places in the world today where baptism can cost you. Places in the world today where it can cost you your family. Places in the world today where it can cost you your job. It can cost you imprisonment. It can cost you your life. And yet people keep doing it. Why? Because baptism is a declaration of their commitment to Jesus. And their commitment to Jesus means more than their families, more than their jobs, more than their freedom, more than their lives. Baptism is a declaration that his story is now irreversibly part of my story, and my story is now irreversibly part of his. It's a declaration to the world, I am his, he is mine, and I want the world to know. It's a declaration that I'm publicly and formally declaring my intention to live for Christ, to be his disciple, to be part of his church. Baptism is a declaration of my identification and my dedication. Now, you've heard me talk all about this, but I want to give you the chance to hear from our brother Joseph, our brother Joseph, who I had the incredible privilege of being able to baptize right out here just a few weeks ago. Take a listen. Since the time I was just a really small child, I've remembered feeling this gnawing hunger inside of me to get to approach and be close to something greater, something bigger. I had the opportunity, by God's grace, to be a father and learned as my daughters were going through their pre-baptism experience what Christ was about. I have come to realize how important it is to submit completely to his will and to embrace the salvation Christ has already given me. You know, what I would share with others who might be considering baptism is that if you feel the inward presence of God's grace, the 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 gratitude and desire to receive the washing of your sins, 
there is no better way than to show that gratitude and display your love for God than to be baptized and, and, and be washed of those sins to be walking with him. Yes, such a great story. Oh. Joseph said as a kid, he went by Joey. And then for years as an adult, he went by Joe. But from the day of his baptism, he wants to go by Joseph because it's his way of just saying, I want a new life. I'm following Jesus. And we all are invited into that new life. Jesus' last command should be the first priority of the church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, around here, we say baptism is an identification, an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is what saves us. Be, to be very clear, baptism never saved anybody. It is what Jesus has done on our behalf through his death and resurrection. And trusting in him is the only thing that ever saved anybody. Baptism never saved anybody. And yet Jesus calls those who have trusted in him for their salvation to, to follow in obedience, to be baptized. It's an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a dedication to following after Jesus, living a new life as his disciple. And it's a declaration. I am his, he is mine, and I want the world to know. There's a, a, a response, an application for each and every one of us in this room this morning. Three different kinds of applications for three different kinds of groups. For those of us who have trusted in Christ for our salvation and have been baptized, the, the invitation, the response today is to remember your baptism. And, and to remember your baptism is, is more than merely remembering the event. It's to remember what it was all about. And today, to, to, to re-up your commitment, right, to that sense of having trusted in Jesus and him alone to save you and having dedicated your life to following after him as his disciple. Remember your baptism. Second, for those who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation but haven't been baptized, the, the invitation to you is let's do this, <laughs> right? That, that uh, you have an opportunity coming up and, and you can have a baptism story as well. That on November 12th, we'll have our next baptism service here at IBC, but the class for that upcoming baptism, to, to prepare for that, starts next Sunday. And so now is the time. T today is the day to sign up. You can go out to Town Square, and there are folks out there that will help you to register, or you can go to irvingbible.org slash baptism, and you can register online and be a part of that, to, to, to follow in obedience to Christ that opportunity to be baptized. But finally, for the third group, who would honestly say, I haven't trusted in Jesus. Today can be your day. Today can be the day in which you say, Jesus, I, I trust you. I believe what you've done because what, what Paul says is of first importance, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that is, he was really dead, but he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And we can have new life in him merely by trusting in what he has done on our behalf. May today be the day for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder today about what this practice is all about. 
a reminder for some of us to look back to an event that has happened in the past, but to remember its significance both then and now, its ongoing significance in our lives. May we recommit today to trust and follow Jesus. And God, for those who might be here who have trusted in Christ for their salvation but haven't taken that step of obedience and baptism, that today they would just dedicate themselves to say, I'm doing it, I'm in, let's, let's do this. And God, for anybody who might be here who's never trusted in Christ, that today might be the day for them simply to put their faith in Jesus and what he has done on their behalf. And so we pray, God, in these next few moments as we respond together, that the spirit, your spirit would just move across this room and bring each one of us to respond as is fitting today. And so this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.